Hello, and welcome to The Feedcast, a monthly podcast created and sponsored by Relay Network. As the feed technology pioneers, Relay Network feeds harness the engagement power of social and news feeds for businesses and the people they serve. I'm your host, Trisha Gabberty, and in The Feedcast, we will hear from cross-industry experts who will share their approach to driving meaningful and powerful customer engagement. In under 30 minutes, you'll gain usable insights and strategies from informative discussions with curated subject matter experts. Hello, and welcome to this month's episode of The Feedcast. I'm your host, Trisha Gabberty, and I'm very happy to be joined today by our special guest, Eric Lent. Eric Lent is an executive with over 30 years of experience building brands, driving growth, and leading teams across the CPG, hospitality, and technology sectors. As a three-time chief marketing officer, Eric has led iconic brands, built winning global marketing organizations, and delivered breakthrough innovations that achieved profitable incremental growth. Most recently, Eric served as the CMO to Prezi, a leading digital gift card company with operations in Australia, the UK, and the US. Prior to this role, Eric was the global chief marketing officer for a set of Morgan Stanley-backed companies, notably World 50, G100, Procurement Leaders, and EHIR. As a key senior leader, Eric ran the marketing function globally, where he had strategic and tactical responsibility for the development and delivery of overall marketing performance and brand strategy. Eric also served as SVP Global Upscale Brands at IHG Hotels and Resorts, where he was responsible for business performance, marketing, strategy, guest experience, food and beverage, innovation, and design for IHG's $5 billion upscale hotel portfolio. Before joining IHG, Eric held executive marketing positions with Hershey Family Entertainment Corporation, Hershey Company, Eastman Kodak, and SC Johnson. Eric has won numerous awards for effective marketing and advertising, including multiple Effie awards. Eric, welcome. Trisha, thank you. I'm actually tired from listening to, to that introduction. I got to tell you, I have to take a nap. That was that was a lot. You've been a very busy man. I have. And I want to say uh, hello to all your listeners. Very excited to be with you today. Thank you. We're, we're very happy to have you. And I know that we had talked a little bit prior about kind of the course of the conversation and the direction we wanted to take it in. But I do have a surprise question for you. And that is, as a brand marketer, what are your thoughts of Twitter being so rapidly renamed as X? Oh my gosh, I was cringing in my... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a a good brand, a well-developed brand creates enormous intangible asset value on the balance sheet. Overnight, he wiped billions of dollars from their potential valuation. From a purist standpoint, not a fan at all. Knowing Elon Musk and what his ambitions are and the way he kind of views money, he's building the WeChat for North America or for for, uh, Western Hemisphere. And if he can pull it off, that's fantastic. He could have done it much more efficiently. Yeah, I agree. I have fellow marketers who were also cringing and thinking he was crazy because, you know, you go through that very laborious planning and, you know, if you were a tree, what tree would your brand be exercise? But I thought it kind of was representative of his quirky style. And, you know, while I do agree what happened to the brand equity that was sitting there, but it just, it's kind of interesting to have somebody out there pushing the envelope, even on the brand side. So let's see. I mean, Threads lost half of their readership in a week. We'll We'll see see where it goes. It was an on-brand move for Musk. Very, yes, very well put. Very well put. I agree with that. So Eric, you've been in roles that have typically been focused on both the digital channel and customer engagement, right? Customer experience. So what best practices can you share that create that stickiness in terms of keeping the customer engaged, especially in the digital channel? It's interesting as I as I reflect on my experience, I've had the fortune of having run pure play digital businesses delivered through a website or an app 
down to a combination of digital and, and physical experiences. Now, I would say the best practices are, are largely the same across the industries. One is drive for personalization and relevance. Second, community. Third, best practices is around gamification. And I'll, I'll come back to each of those. Great content leads to great customer mm-hmm. engagement. But that only comes through an innate understanding of, of the psychology of, of your consumers or consumer groups. But then more importantly, a deep understanding of, of their journeys from when they're initially considering engaging with your product or service all the way down when they're about to click on a purchase or you know physically do that. And the best brands are the ones that really understand where the pain points and the highlights are in those journeys and find ways to either accentuate the highlights or remediate the pain points. And I think it's it's really important to keep in mind that to do that well, it's about developing not, not just, and I say content, but it's quality content, content that is meaningful. If there's one thing that's happening right now is where there's, it's even getting further exacerbated by AI. There's just so much poor content getting pushed out there and humans are smart. They very quickly behaviorally learn how to mitigate noise. And so for you to break through and make your brand sticky, sticky, you have to deliver things that are truly meaningful. And the, really the way to do that is through data. Mm-hmm. Data enables personalization. You know, best in class, you're getting individual personalization. But at best practices, how do you aggregate your data based upon consumer cohorts where there's like practices, like behaviors, like attitudes, and deliver messages and content that help endear yourself to those different groups? The second piece I'll jump into is is around community. It is common practice now when somebody's making a purchase to seek from others who have experience with the brand, the product or service, and get their insight and input. I always believe it's best if you if you can create an environment where your buying community can come together, share ratings, share reviews, share perspective within your environment. Because if you can keep them in your environment, the likelihood of getting them down a purchase funnel is exponentially greater than Mm -hmm. forcing them to go to another website or somewhere else to find that Mm -hmm. information. And then lastly is, is around gamification. How do you create little hints and nudges along the way to make people feel loyalty? So many companies have gotten great at this. It's really about introducing the right elements along the way that give people social status, help them earn rewards, help them feel like they're part of something special. And the biggest social platforms are probably best in class in this, but a lot of great consumer brands have picked up on that as well. All right. I'm going to circle back and touch on all of them because I have questions. I mean, I totally agree with you that it's data, right? You have to be data-driven. Your customers every single day are giving you signals. However, How do you compensate for those mixed signals? So for instance, I remember IBM did a very clever campaign probably about five years ago now called You Don't Know Jack. And Jack was buying waffles and spaghetti. And they kept watching this Jack character um, online and, and they followed his behavior and they started serving up in their remarketing toasters, you know, pasta dishes and recipes, all, all of this along following thinking this was a culinary track, when in reality, it was a Jackie, who a woman who was training for <laughs> a 5K, right? So it, I think just talk, touching on that and understanding the nuances within the data. So how did you tease that out, right? Trisha, we've been at this for a while, right? So we have to think about where we've come from, Mm -hmm. which, you know, years ago, you would spend a million dollars, $1.5 million to run a coupon coupon. in the Sunday Mm -hmm. paper that goes to everyone. We're coming from a world where mass marketing was the only way to get 
consumer interest. And there was a ton of, you know, even though you targeted your messages to a specific audience, you were still in channels that were were mass, right? Well, so we're and, and and then it was right by zip code typically, yes, right? Yes. And it was just like, well, men and women live here. So we'll just right, send out, right. you know, the, the the perfume offer and the shaving kit. So yeah. We're infinitely better today. You know, what I often preach to people is there's there's two camps of do you not own the data or should you own the data? Mm-hmm. And I'm a big believer, despite the security challenges, that you should try to own as much first party data as possible. Because if you're using G, you know Google Analytics 4 or some some other engine, you're missing cues, you're missing the ability to aggregate different touch points to truly get targeted. Mm-hmm. And so I first and foremost, we try to drive strong first party data and build a customer data platform on top of that, that allows you to get to that more highly targeted, highly personalized uh, interaction with your consumers. It's more expensive at the outset, but there's a definite uh, scale to that ROI that pays off as you go forward. And I've, d- I've done that multiple times with companies. Well, I think you're right because, well, obviously you're right, because back to your earlier point about those gaps in the pain points right of, of the journey, right? And if you're missing some of that, the more data that you can knit together to form a more cohesive picture of your client, of your client or customer, the better off you'll be. Touching on community and crowd input. Yes. I mean, it seems like no one can make a purchase without going on Instagram or Facebook or anywhere uh, without validating their their decision. <laughs> However, it, it's also helpful. I say that tongue in cheek because I I'm planning travel right now and I keep looking on every blog and vlog and and TripAdvisor just to hear other people's insights. And with that, as you look at TripAdvisor or more importantly, looking at some of these hotel websites, and you have a plethora of experience with that, and you know consumers and travelers writing their experience and what their response was to their trip. And they start saying, well, the staff at the front desk was not friendly, the sink was broken, et cetera, et cetera. And you see these canned responses sometimes from managers at the hotels, or sometimes you see nothing at all, right? So how do you, and then on the other hand, you get these very flowery, you know, mm-hmm. praises for, for their experience. So how does a brand deal with that? And what's the best way? Like you said, it, it helps to keep you in their train of thought and their consideration set. So how do you sort of combat because social media is such a delicate tool given the pros and cons that it affords the the user. There's so many places we can go with what you just said. You know, what I'll start off by saying is, you know, in, in around this general topic of community building, I do believe that it's a mistake to hide. We are mm-hmm. in a world where information is instant and transparent. So you have to have a strong footprint across the the digital ecosystem. But there's work involved there because that doesn't just mean, to your point earlier, the the glowing reviews and highlighting those and, and building out all the positives. It also means that you have to recognize that the social space is now a customer service channel as well. And you see it most in hospitality and travel, delays, issues with rooms, people will automatically post. So you have to have the right mechanism, and there are plenty out there, to monitor those environments and respond in a way that allows you to take them off the platform and into a one-on-one conversation to remediate. So you have to make those investments. It's a mistake if you don't. Right. And I know I'm going to sound like I'm I'm the negative Nelly here, but you're just reminding me in the channel that is now known as X, which for some reason is still showing up as the bluebird on my phone. But I was 
just scrolling through there last night and I noticed a string of people that were stranded in LAX for like three or four hours on the tarmac or something. And then they canceled the flight and the customer service rep through the, that channel said, why don't we take it, you know, if you can get into a direct message channel with me, I can address your concerns. And since there were three or four of them stacked, one respondent came back and said, no, we want transparency. We want you to tell us all how you're going to remedy this. And I thought, oh, you know, we, we, we've got a rough crowd here. So I agree with you. It's it, You have to move it to the one-on-one, because, but everybody wants to be heard, right? Everyone wants to make sure that they're getting their, their rant out and, and also being satisfied and giving some kind of yeah. you know, agreement then, for what they've gone through. And con- right, and consumers know they have leverage. They know that if they post something negative, it's going to prompt, mostly, usually, prompt a company to mm-hmm. respond, at least those that are, that are better and more vested in customer service. So I did have a question here that kind of ties back into your gamification. It focuses a bit on your days at IHG, which that portfolio of brands is Crown Plaza and Holiday Inn and others. 18 brands, 6,000 hotels. You talked about in gamification, you know, giving the nudges, giving hints, offering rewards to kind of stay again within their, on their radar. How can marketers best ensure that brand loyalty in terms of those communications and, and specifically the cadence, right? Because I keep unsubscribing to emails and to texts. Everybody wants your mobile number as well, but it's just two, three times a day. So what is the right cadence? And, and does it vary by brand? Does it vary by individual? How, how do you get to that secret sauce? Maybe some context setting because there's some philosophy behind what I'm going to say. Loyalty is earned. Mm-hmm. It's not given. And it's only given when it's consistent over time. As marketers, you know, we're all trained to be the champions of the brand. But you and I both know that a brand is an intangible, right? It lives in the minds of an individual. And a brand in my mind, Tricia, is different than a brand in your mind, even though it might be the same brand. We have different because we've had different experiences. And the strength of that brand is not the advertising, it's not the packaging, it's not the it's not the Instagram site. It's the combination of every touch point, every experience a consumer has with that brand, both positive and negative. So I talked about pain points and highlights earlier. You know, the more highlights that you have, the more positive experience actually your brand strength increases, the negatives, your brand strength decreases. And so to do that, then effectively, you have to think relationally about how you interact with your, your guests. The best brands in the world are the ones that are in this, what is the modern day Swiss army knife, right? How do you become a tool within this device? And you only do that by delivering value. So at IHG, we put a massive focus on loyalty. If you pre-pandemic, if you think about it, there was a big battle between the OTAs and the big hotel mm-hmm. companies. And Marriott, Hilton, IHG, a few others, all were all marketing to book direct for lowest price. And that's because we want to make sure from an awareness stage to get into the consideration set of a consumer's purchase, we were driving them to be within the site where we had the greatest control and ability to facilitate that loyalty, facilitate those relationships. Now, we were still present on the OTAs because you need to be... And the OTA is the... It's it's your Expedias, your okay, Kayak, the Online travel agents, got it. The travel aggregators, online travel. Yeah. Once we got them into our funnel, we did a really nice job of pushing the loyalty program. 
And we did that by creating something of value. So with IHG, it's in a, and they've revamped it in more recent years to make it even stronger. The team there is truly world-class. But they gamified loyalty by creating tiers and points and the ability to have status and, and gain rewards. But I think as important is that they allowed you within their app to set your stay preferences. Hmm. So when I book, I want a room away from an elevator at a top floor on the quiet side of the street with softer pillows. Like you literally could design your experience. Now, for a business like IHG, you then are dependent on the interaction that that guest has when they walk through those hotel doors and they get to the front desk. The stickiness only happens when that front desk agent looks at the data before the guest checks in or as the guest is checking in and is able to reference the data points to create a point of personalization and empathy and familiarity. Mm -hmm. We invested so much money in training on service styles that were different by brand so that our front office staff could treat our guests or F&B staff could treat our guests in a way that reflected what their personalization needs were. Not every hotel was able to pull it off, but those who did showed statistically stronger performance on all guest satisfaction metrics and revenue delivery than those who didn't. So as a marketer, your job, it's not just getting getting the message out there. It's ensuring that any particular touch point can reinforce what that brand proposition is. And that's what creates the loyalty over time. It all comes down to that execution, right? We can design yes. the most wonderful experience on that whiteboard, <laughs> but it comes down to the people on the ground. And it's interesting. Um, we did another podcast episode with Jim Tincher, who runs the Heart of a Customer, which is a customer journey mapping consultancy. And he talked about the importance of having, you know, every every role having a seat at the table and skin in the game. And I think that, you know, back to your point, would you agree that when there's pain points in the journey and you start to look around and say, okay, well, marketing's got this, but sales not really fully selling the true experience or operations is falling down here or finance isn't giving us the money that we need to, say, invest in that data platform, right? I mean, it, it's got to be a collaborative effort or or that's where yeah. you fall down. Well, and Trisha, you, you, you asked earlier, what are some things I believe marketers should do? And what you are referencing right now, I think is the crux of the challenge for marketers today. And it's it's a and frankly it's a must-do as well, which is a marketer needs to be a change agent within the organization. They need to be able to inspire, to motivate, to execute in a way that enrolls and enlists all the stakeholders within their company, be that cross-functional peers, be, be it you know, board members, etc. So there, there's a level of not only IQ to be a great marketer, but EQ that will help you actually deliver and execute. And, and I, I can't tell you, unfortunately, how many really smart people I've seen not be successful because they couldn't take their brilliant thinking and drive enrollment across their organizations. Right. And I think that you're spot on and the EQ is huge. And it's it took marketing a very long time to even get a seat at the table. And at times we still have, you know, there's that sibling rivalry between sales and marketing. Then you have marketing sometimes seen as really just a cost center, right? Because we are always asking for more money, but there's a reason for it. And to your point, in order to really have that validation as a discipline, but more so the buy-in and the sponsorship, you do have to link elbows and link arms with the CFO, the COO, right? All of your peers around the table, HR, etc. 
to show that your impact is more than just fancy logos and ad campaigns. I literally, Trisha, wrote an article on this that I pushed out yesterday where I titled it Marketing Has a Branding Problem because the very issue you're describing was the crux of my article, which is it's not only about creating these great programs, but you've got to show across the organization the value that those programs are creating economically, whether that be ROI, top line revenue, some combination therein. You have to have that business focus first to make marketing win. Well, it's the marketing of marketing, right? Yeah. And it's interesting. I've, I've encountered the same in many of my stops along the way. And again, it goes back to having that collaboration because you walk over to your C- CFO and they say, oh, here they come again, looking for more money. But if you can sit down to your point, you have to, I guess, if we're marketers, we know our audience. So if you know the, the mind of a CFO yes. and the bean counter, you can at least show and talk to them in the language they know, which is numbers and what kind of results you're seeing and how you need a little bit more to even drive those, you know, those numbers higher. And for sales, it's all about, you know, that swagger and getting in front of the audience and what's really going to be resonating with them. I think one other thing I would add to what you're talking about is is just underscoring that a marketer has to go out on the road too. It was amazing to me in some of the stops I've made in my career when I would meet a CMO who had never gone out to meet the customer. And, you know, some salespeople aren't always keen on that, but I think it's very important because how else are we going to understand the pushback they get or the buy-in they get unless we're sitting at the table also listening to that conversation with the customer? I'm going to take that a step further because I, I agree with you so much so that I believe a marketer's job is not only to get with the customer, but to invest their time to understand what the customer's business objectives are for their company, for their function, mm-hmm. and what their boss's objectives are, because that's the, that shows you the pressure that that person is under. And then, and only then, positioning your product or service in a way that helps them achieve their objectives versus going out with a pre-created pitch and something that's very much about you beating your chest and showing the value that you you have to do it objective-based. And it's almost like it's, what I'm just saying right now is the physical manifestation of what we were talking about earlier in terms of using your data for content and relevance that's personalized. Couldn't agree with me more. And it, it goes back to your point of EQ, right? It's that empathy. They need to show the right decision and the right purchase so that that reflects well for them, to their boss, to their team. So it's it's being in the steps or in the shoes rather of your of your customer to understand what's important to them. And each one, to your, set, to your earlier point, is it's unique. Everybody's yeah. after their own need or their own desire or their own metric. I wanted to ask also, so consumers seek a frictionless experience, right? As they go along the buying journey. And yet there are some companies that seem to have gaps in that journey when it comes to giving a smooth experience. It's a two-part question. What companies, and we talked about this a little bit earlier with the data, you know, data points in the journey. What companies do you think are getting it right and how? I'm going to bring up the one that keeps coming up in your podcast, Delta. I believe they are truly best in class when it comes to blending digital tools with physical environments. Similar to ISG, within their app, you can you can set preferences, you can book your flights, mm-hmm. you can you can change your flights mid mid travel mm-hmm. based upon what's what's happening around you, and it's tied to their their loyalty program. They've gamified it. They've reduced friction by telling you when to stand in line, when mm-hmm. you're about to get called. 
They've now, most recently, you automatically connect to Wi-Fi when you board their planes, no matter where you're sitting within the plane. They have done that work of mapping the journey and using technology and systems and processes to reduce and eliminate friction. They, to me, are frankly best in class. Now, I'll also say, you know, it's, it's not going to be surprising, Amazon and Apple. Amazon, with their one-click mm-hmm. ordering, their simple returns, their recommendation engine, it's like having a personalized shopper with you trolling along their site. And, and Apple, when you think about their hardware, their software, their services, in fact, you know, Apple Fitness, one of their services, they, they create community through the ability to invite friends to come compete every week or to do workouts together. They have great content in the fitness classes that they provide online. They create enormous personalization and relevance through the way that they use your health data to help you optimize how you work out, how you ultimately sleep, how you take care of your life. And that is that is like every, everything that people espouse in being world-class and using data to deliver content and relevance. Obviously, the biggest company in the world gets it right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree with you. Although I do have a, uh, an appointment with the Genius Bar next Monday. Mm-hmm. So we'll just see how that goes. <laughs> Right. And right, that, that's their physical delivery of that, right? It so, is. Oh, I, 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 like with Delta, I think with Apple, I have a, a love-hate. I, I mean, it's, it's to your point, it's the Swiss Army knife in our hands every single day. Our mobile phones, sometimes they can be quite frustrating. With Delta, uh, I am a, a Delta frequent flyer and have been a member, I think I'm silver or gold or whatever I am now. Just had an experience with one of their, their partners traveling overseas and wow. Be careful who you pick as your friends. It was awful. Yeah, it was yeah. so, it was a poor reflection on the Delta brand, although it wasn't Delta's fault. It was Air France. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you just, that's right. Every touch point matters. Right? It does. That's, that's and, and, and I, you know, I was thinking as you were saying about how, you know, Apple has all these offerings and they do. But when you get into that affiliate marketing or that partnership marketing, you know, when I'm handing off my precious customer to you, it's sort of like, how do I, you know, ensure that my brand experience is going to carry through to yours? And I I don't know that that's anything that we could really solve for. But that is something worth analyzing, right? The, the short-term profit gain versus the long-term experience deterioration would probably show that you're impacting lifetime value of your consumers, right? So there's a, there's a, a tipping point there where good is good enough, but you may not want to go too far. Yeah, absolutely. And, and give, given the the, in the experience I had with this particular Delta travel partner, it made me rethink whether I wanted to switch airline carriers for another upcoming flight. Because as I looked, I was like, nope, they, they don't have a direct on their brand. It's their partner brand again. And I am not mm-hmm. doing that. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right. A little analysis would be interesting about that. Where do you think most of the breakdown occurs? This is the second part of that question. And, and what are your thoughts on solutions for those moments? You know, I, I, okay, I don't, I, this is subjective, right? Because it's there's two areas where it breaks down. One is systems and the other is people, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Usually they're related. Yes. Uh, as, as an example, you know, if your data platform is not linked well with the CRM system, you end up sometimes losing some data integrity or inability to execute as envisioned. But as important, I think, and it happens maybe even more in the data thing, is, is just uh, misaligned objectives across functions. Mm-hmm. 
marketing usually is is you know traditionally been put at the center of really understanding the consumer and consumer needs and i and i've seen from personal experience instances where my team has seen instances on a website where the bounce rate was high consumers were falling off for whatever reason and then trying to get the product team or the technology team to execute against that there was a lot of friction involved because they were trying to push out another iteration of a product or had some other deliverable that wasn't aligned across functions. So I think, you know, if you're if you're in the C-suite of an organization, ensuring that alignment across functions will go a long way towards eliminating those breakdowns. But frankly, they, they happen way too often in far too many organizations. I agree. And that, that kind of gives rise to the idea of, okay, we, we've done a great job of identifying our personas and doing our customer journey mapping. But how about we turn the mirror inward, right? And yeah. look at who are the personas across these, you know, across our departments. We have got introverts, we've got extroverts, we've got math geniuses, we've got word people, right? And so how does that all work together? And then again, and that that journey map, who's dropping the, the ball? That's a great idea, Trish. I love that. Maybe I'll package that up and consult There's that. an article there for you. <laughs> I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. But I think that that would be interesting. And it's it's difficult. So as I mentioned with you know the heart of the customer consultancy, he was talking about how it's important to have the collaboration because otherwise you're going to just point at one area and say, hey, look, our digital stuff is falling apart. Can you fix that? And no one wants to be called out, right? And so that's why it, it kind of has to be collaborative because although you're going to say, well, he started it <laughs> as you're sitting around the table, you may want to say, well, I can't provide can't finish this job. I can't complete this project because I'm waiting on this from from Eric. And Eric at least can say, yeah, but that's because our supplier is late. It goes back to what we said earlier. It's like, how do you think about it in a way that gives everybody a win, right? That's by understanding what their pressures, their objectives. 100%. It's a root cause analysis rather than it's like, oh, okay, you know what? We've been trying to save money. So we've been, you know, procurement's been perhaps dealing with a, you know, a less expensive vendor, but it's causing us time delays, which then have that ripple effect that's impacting Mm -hmm. everybody else's, you know, ability to execute, which is then carrying over to the customer experience. So something to think about. This is my my last question, and then I'm going to turn it over to you. But I, I think this is the first time we've seen four generations in the market at the same time. So we've got baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z. What are your thoughts, pros and cons of, of marketing into that system? So earlier on in my career, I was given accountability for running youth marketing when millennials were just becoming teens. Mm-hmm. Right now they're mid thirties. Right. And we did a ton of research, both qual, quant, and ethnographic. And I learned some things there that shaped my answer, which is that was the first time in history where the fashion trends of teen girls haloed up to their moms. Oh wow. And so you, you know, you had they were they were wearing the same pants, the same brands of shoes. And for me, that it, put, it was a big light bulb for me when I, and I, you know, I'm going to say something that's very known today, which is, you know, I'm not a fan of generational marketing. Mm-hmm. I have more in common with a 25-year-old health and suit enthusiast than I do with somebody my own age. And so marketing today to be strong and be relevant needs to market to mindsets hmm. because mindsets span generations. And the reality is that mindset allows you to, to position your brand, your service or project in a way that fits the needs of that 
particular target. If you're doing it generationally, you just it's like your very first comment about how much spill and miss that happens in targeting. You're really going to miss your mark, right? And if you want to be personalized, you want to be relevant, cater to and understand what their needs are. And needs span generations. I think that's a great answer. And I, I think it's a great answer because mindset over generation, because To your point, there are people within my generation who are very, very stuck in their point of view, in their ways, in their behaviors, and others like myself who tend to be a little bit more flexible and open-minded. And, you know, I I can find myself going up and down the stream from boomer down to Gen Z and and saying, that's kind of neat. I like that. Don't know that I would wear the same clothes as a Gen Zer, but you know, I can have the appreciation for the same artwork that they like, mm-hmm. or the, mm-hmm. some of the music that they have, or what have you. So I think that's pretty, um, pretty clever marketing to the mindset. I like that. So we're coming up on time here, and I just so I wanted to throw it over to you, Eric. You you clearly have had an amazing career so far, and and more to come. And I thank you for a very interesting conversation and covering all of this ground. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch upon in terms of marketing? I want to share a life lesson that I learned very early that changed the trajectory of my life as a marketer. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so it goes back to when I was in high school, 17 years old. I cut school for the day. I was living I was living in the New York area. I cut school. I went to visit my cousin who was an account supervisor at an advertising agency in New York. And he set up a day of informational interviews. So I met the art director, copywriter, the planner, you know, the whole the whole functional team. And he was an account guy. He took me to his office at the end of the day and said, my job is to get the best work out of this team to deliver for the needs of the client. And obviously young, impressionable, I was like, I want to do this. And he said, if you choose to do this, don't go to school and major in advertising. Don't major in communications. You need to become a student of business because Mm -hmm. the only way you'll add value to your clients is if you strive to understand your client's business better than your clients. Every job, every assignment, every new team, I've taken that advice and applied it. And it, it, it encapsulates so much of what we talked about mm-hmm. today, which is you need to be the one who tries to learn everything about your consumer, understand your cross-functional peers that you're working with in your organization and strive to understand the stuff that they're working on. Because then you can come into conversations intelligent, articulate, and educated in a way that ultimately endears trust and respect. And when you have that trust, you can make magic happen. Here, here. I, I think that truth is the currency, right? You have a very wise cousin. And I'm pretty impressed that for a 17-year-old who cut school for the day, you decided to make it a life lesson and not do some of the things that I think most of us were doing when we cut class at 17. Well, and, and my and my cousin, whom I love to death, he became the chief executive officer for Conan Belding. So he did, he did oh, okay. He did. Yeah, not, not too shabby. Wow. That's awesome. Eric, thank you again for your time today. You were so interesting. You gave great advice, great insights, and just a terrific conversation. Thanks so much for joining. Oh, Tricia, thank you so much. It's it's clear we both have passion for what we do and it made the conversation so free-flowing. So thank you and thank you to all your listeners. Terrific. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of The Feedcast, created and produced by Relay Network. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe to be notified of future episodes and give Relay Network a follow on LinkedIn. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Relay Network, nor should they be taken as legal advice. We recommend consulting your own legal team when considering your customer engagement strategy and practices.